going, laid back about most things. But I'm almost obsessive about some things. And on top of that list is telling you the truth on Sunday. I, you know, I research things that I say uh, to make sure they're accurate. And I want to say to you today that, uh, that when I say the statement I'm about to say, I, I mean it. That it's, uh, it is absolutely, as, as far as I can understand it, true. You come to the part in Habakkuk, maybe you've never heard a sermon from Habakkuk before this series we've been doing, but we come to the verse in Habakkuk, I think that a text that literally changed the history of the world. Habakkuk 2.4, I think literally changed the course of world history. Well, how is that? Just a little verse. But verses affect people. And when certain people are affected, uh, then history changes. And that's exactly what happened here. Why is Habakkuk 2 4 so powerful? It is a verse that is uh, fine to what we've been talking about. The, the use of my God of the Babylonians to judge Judah uh, for their, their unfaithfulness to God. And you remember he was talking about it when he left off last week at the beginning of chapter 2. He's talking about the the, the nature, this cruel, vicious, immoral nature, nature of the Babylonians, and and he's using the first person, uh, or third person uh, singular, as the he to refer to the whole nation. And so we pick that up in two four. It says, "See, the enemy is puffed up; his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness." The he, the first part, is talking about the Babylonians. How in their pride, they think, and remember the first chapter, you said their pride is their strength. They're, they're all about military might and power and, and all about seizing and terrorizing all around them. But it changes the frame of reference in that second verse. The righteous will live by his, God's, faithfulness. That is, even though things are falling apart, the righteous will live by faith. Crucial words for us to hear today. Maybe your life feels like a crisis. A medical situation, financial difficulty, vocational questions, or, or lack of a job. All of those things uh, we're not immune to. But what do you do when evildoers come to power? The righteous shall live by faith. What do you do when your prayers go unanswered? The righteous shall live by faith. What do you do when your dreams turn to ashes? The righteous shall live by faith. You know that Habakkuk 2 4 is quoted not by one, not by two, but three different letters in the New Testament. In fact, you could say a theme of those letters was, which are books of the Bible, a theme of those books was the righteous will live by faith. One of those quotations is Romans. 117. And verses 16 and 17 set it up for us. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul takes this quote from Habakkuk, just as it is written. And he makes it, uh, what we can understand today, a foundational part 
of our belief, a foundational part of our belief that can make all the difference. Not only in our eternal destiny, but also the quality of the life that we live here, uh, particularly when we're going through tough times. There are two words we really need to understand if we are going to get this verse that changed the history of the world. The first is righteousness. Righteousness. The first thing this text tells us is righteousness comes from God. Now, righteousness in those times came from legal circles. It was used in court uh, in ancient times to, to declare someone, if a person was declared righteous, they were declared not guilty. They were completely cleared of any wrongdoing. They were acquitted of all charges. They were declared right in the eyes of the law. Well, here we're talking about righteousness in terms of God. Now, we have a problem, do all of us. A little later in Romans, it tells us that there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all a problem, no matter where we come from, no matter if our parents had us in church from the, the days we were first born, and no matter if we grew up in a Christian family or a Christian county or a Christian state or a Christian nation <clears throat> or not, all of us have this problem. We choose to do things God doesn't want us to do. Or we don't do the things God wants us to do. Both are equally sin. Both are a real problem. What this tells us first is righteousness comes from God. It comes from God. We sin against God. Therefore, the, de the declaration of not guilty, the acquittal, has to also come from God. And it cannot come from ourselves. You know, it is said that the people who think their good works can get them to heaven don't know how just how bad their sin is. And it is a problem, I think, because we hear principles like the scripture, which is true, but it says the person so they reap what they sow. We we read and hear things like that. We want to see cause and effect. And we think that somehow if we do enough good things, then, then God's gonna give us a stamp of approval. We do enough good things and God's going to be pleased or happy with us forgetting the things we do or don't do that he wants us to do. <laughs> it's because of that we need to understand that there is no such thing in God's sight as self-righteousness. There is no such thing as us working enough or doing enough or giving enough to be declared not guilty. There's no such thing. The reformers spoke of a concept called alien righteousness. And it is this fact, it is this understanding the righteous that we live by faith that had such an effect on Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the founder of what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. But it wasn't always that way. I don't know how much you know about Martin Luther's story, but this text that we're talking about today, Habakkuk 2.4, which is then quoted in Romans 1.17, it changed the whole direction of his life. It first changed the man, and then this man changed the world. At one time, Martin Luther was an obscure Roman Catholic monk. He entered the monastery seeking to be set free because he had this heavy burden of guilt. He understood 
how he had fell short of what God expected. He understood how much he needed God. He understood that he could find no relief. Though he was an obedient son of the church, he found no rest in his soul in prayer and fasting and penance. His eyes were open when he studied the epistle to the Romans. If he came to Romans 117, the verse we're looking at, he pondered the meaning of the quotation from the back of 2 4. Reflecting back on what this text meant in his life, Luther offered this testimony. When by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just or the righteous shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. A lot of us today, I think, are weary. We're tired. Because we strive and strive to be approved by God by the things that we do. You don't know how many times in counseling I've heard people say something like, well, I must have done something wrong for what I'm going through. Or I've done so many wrong things, there's no way God can truly forgive me. They question whether they're saved. Alien righteousness means it has to come from outside. Alien we use, like if we go to a foreign country, we're an alien in that country. We're not from there. Righteousness, being declared not guilty, being forgiven for sin, it only comes come from outside of yourself. And what this says, and what Martin Luther grasped for the first time, righteousness can only come from God. And the second point is received only by faith. The righteousness comes from God and received only by faith. That is, it's not about works at all. There is no difference. Whether someone is a, a doctor or someone is a janitor, there is no difference whether somebody's male or female. There is no difference where somebody's young or old. All of us sin and fall short. Therefore, we all need the same help. We all need the same answer. When he says here, this righteousness is for Jew or Gentile, he means it's available to all. But we need to grasp that the righteous have to live by faith. And we are saved only by faith. We receive and are made righteous only by faith. That's a very important point for us to get that I think is hard for us to understand. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. That is, you cannot be righteous enough to impress God. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. <laughs> Martin Luther's son wrote in a letter this about his dad. In the year 1544, my late dearest father, the presence of us all, narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. He acknowledged with great joy that in that city, through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he had come into the knowledge. Now listen, he'd been studying the Bible for years. He'd been living the life of a monk for years. He came into the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. It happened this way. As he repeated his prayers on the Latarian staircase, as he was going through the traditions 
of the Roman Catholic Church, the words of the prophet, the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind, the righteous shall live by faith. Thereupon he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg, and took this as the chief foundation of all his doctrine. Now in this time, the Roman Catholic Church was the only church. In this time, the Roman Catholic Church, because I think of its unique position, had been corrupted. It was about money and power. It was about tradition and ritual. And he grasped this and it became the very foundation of his faith. What he understood was faith alone is what matters. And it became the rallying cry for the Protestant Reformation, which is an ancestor of where we are today as a non-denominational Christian church. And their rallying cry was this, by faith alone, sola fide in Latin. Sola fide, by faith alone. Faith alone, not by works of the law. Faith alone, not by obedience to the church. Faith alone, not by human righteousness. Faith alone, not by baptism. Faith alone, not by good intentions. Faith alone, not by the sacraments. Faith alone, not by acts of charity. Faith alone, plus nothing and minus nothing. Hard for us to grasp. But we need to understand this. Without faith, getting baptized is just getting wet. Without faith, taking communion is just having a snack. Without faith, giving money is just benevolence. Faith has to be the foundation. Faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord means as we give ourselves, as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus, as we become a disciple of His, that becomes our main focus. It means putting Him first in every area of our life. It is faith that has to be the basis what we're about. So if you ever wonder, are you saved? I would ask you, do you have faith in Jesus? If you ever wonder, have I somehow caused this to happen? I would ask you, do you have faith in Jesus? Because that faith is what must come first. You know, the third truth I have to share with you about righteousness should bring you great peace. I hope it brings you rest. That righteousness reconciles us with God. Righteousness reconciles us with God. You know, I say a lot, I've caught myself saying this a lot, because it's in our culture. I, I, I'll, I'll, when I'm talking to somebody, I'll say, we good? Y'all ever do that? We good? You know, like if, if somebody's done something for me and, and I offer to pay them and they say no, uh, we good? <laughs> not like my dad and his brother. They used to always do this thing, which we would laugh at, drove us crazy. They would, you know, one of them would do something for the other, and they'd say, how much do I owe you? And the other one would say nothing. They would say nothing by holding their hand out while holding their hand out, which is a conflicting, contradictory message, right? We good? What you can understand from this verse is the righteous live by faith what it means is that if you have faith in God, if you have faith in Jesus, then you can understand you're good with God. Not by what you do, 
but by what he does in you. The ancients also had this term they used, big theological word, imputation. And what it means is that when we believe in Jesus, he imputes his righteousness into us. He, he injects us, if you will. He gives us, he makes us clean. He washes us before God. He cleans us before God. He, because of his sacrificial death on the cross, because he took the penalty for our sin, as we believe in Jesus, then he cleans us up and makes us good with God. We use the word reconcile. Romans 5, 8, 9 through 11 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That is God's justice, his judgment, his penalty. For if while we were God's enemies, that is, and we'd sinned against him. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That is, he saves us, and then he changes our life as we build that life on faith. As putting him first becomes our main priority. He changes the direction of our life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received. Reconciliation. What that says to you without a shadow of a doubt is if you believe, you're good with God. Can we accept that? See, there's bad news here. If we're trying to live and be pleasing God any other way, then we're doomed. But there's good news. If you believe, you're saved. If you believe, you're good. If you believe, you have the resilience, you'll have that reckon, that relationship with God in which you can overcome whatever comes through your life. We've talked about righteousness. The second word we need to talk about here is faith. Okay, what does faith does it mean? In the church, we often, I think, confuse two different types of faith. The first is saving faith, which I've been talking about a lot. When I talk about being made good with God, being forgiven by God, I'm talking about saving faith. How do we overcome our sin problem? Saving faith. Well, how much is enough? You might ask. People are asking that a lot. How much faith is enough to be saved? Whenever anybody questions their salvation, that's what they're asking. How much faith is enough? And my answer is this. Not much, but all you have. Not much, but all you have. A seven or eight-year-old child can understand that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. They can understand that Jesus, that Jesus is the one who loves me, the one who saves me, the one who helps me get to God in heaven. As much as you have, it doesn't take a whole lot you need to believe Jesus is the Christ, but, but it needs to be all that you have. In other words, I really think some of us think in our mind, even if we won't say it out loud, I think we, we think we can make a deal with God. You know, we need to have a backup plan. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I believe in God, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do a lot of good things so if it comes down to it, I can prove to God how good I am. All right? I don't want to lie just on 
faith. Big mistake. Who's the best person you think that ever lived? Mother Teresa? Maybe? She constantly wrote about how sinful and how she knew that she could never live a life to please God. Pilgrim? Pilgrim? wrote often and identified with Paul when he said, I am the worst of sinners. I will tell you, as you grow in the knowledge of Scripture, as you grow in maturity, you'll realize just how sinful you are. And that's a mark of spiritual growth. But I will say to you, there is no other way to be accepted before God than faith, the righteous by faith. But we're also talking about living faith. That's the second kind of faith. And whenever you talk about faith, you need to distinguish between the two. Once you've been saved, once you've believed in Christ, once you're good, you're reconciled with God. Well, what do you do with your life? And that's where I've been talking about putting Him first, walking as a disciple. Because it's in that living faith that it, it changes our attitude. It changes our outlook upon whatever we're going through. <laughs> I'm telling you, just like you, I face trials and troubles in my life. I won't bore you by telling you all about them, but I, I can say to you, it's not as if I get a free ride because I'm a preacher. I face tough stuff. But I really believe that with God, I cannot be overcome. With God, it's all gravy. Whatever happens, he's going to give me his peace, his fruit, his work, and his power through my life. I will overcome through him. That's living faith. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. If you're going through tough stuff, you need to hear these words, the righteous will live by faith. That's how Habakkuk went them. It is going to be terrible this Babylonian judgment. But the righteous shall live, the righteous shall persevere, the righteous shall overcome by faith. That's what he's telling them. And so, as Paul writes those words in Romans, he's saying that same thing, the righteous shall live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that, <laughs> that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. There is no plan B, would be my encouragement to you. You know, don't invest or put all your eggs in one basket. That's good advice for investing. But it does not work when we're talking about Christianity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And he goes on to say, that my disciples, they are branches in the vine. They stay connected. And they walk and serve and live and love me. As the children of God, we walk and serve together. <clears throat> there is an old hymn. Charles Murray was asked, Charles Murray is a noted theologian. He was asked what his favorite invitation hymn was. 
And somebody might say, trust and obey, or, or just as I am. But he surprised them by saying his favorite invitation him was only trust. And maybe you don't know that song at all. <clears throat> That's okay. I want to tell you about it. Only trust him was a great hymn, but didn't catch on so much until the revivals of D.L. Moody. It was an evangelist who had been crusaders. Now, only trusting the words and the, the lyrics were written by a Methodist minister named John Stockton. But Ira Secchi, who was the worship minister for D.L. Moody, he actually found this song and he, he picked it up and he changed some of the words to it. And so whenever D.L. Uh, Moody would have these great sermons and he would talk to people about salvation and how they could come and be forgiven and how they could live in the best way possible, they would stand at the end of the sermon and sing this song only. Trust them. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. Each word is important. Only. That's the right qualification. There is no plan B. Trust. You know, trust means to completely rely on someone to do something you can't do for yourself. If you've got a medical problem, a tumor, let's say, I don't think most of us are going to operate on ourselves. We need to trust the surgeon. If you've got to get somewhere quickly, a great distance, you're probably going to get on a plane. And unless you're a pilot, which we probably have some Air Force planes here, but if, unless you're a pilot, you're going to have to depend on that pilot to fly you. Go to court. If you're smart, you won't represent yourself. You'll trust. Complete reliance on someone to do something you can't do for yourself. Only trust him, Jesus, the right object. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow, plunged now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. As I said, <laughs> he can cleanse you. The righteous shall live by faith. So this day, my question for you is, and whom or what do you trust? If it's to be right with God, in whom or what do you trust? If it's how to overcome what's going on in your life, in whom or what do you trust? There's only one who can make it good. Others, we think about these things. I pray today. That you've encouraged us by these words. Maybe you've challenged us by these words. Maybe we recognize that we are kind of off. We're on the fence. We say we trust you. But we really are depending on other things or people. And I pray today that we will come and be set free. We will only trust you. Only trust your son Jesus. 
only trust you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that.